Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. All right, welcome to Thinking and Drinking. Today we have Michael Britt of Lone Star. Michael is a killer guitar player, holding down all the guitars for the band Lone Star for over 26 years. They've garnered nine or ten number ones and sold, I think, ten million albums. If you if you head over to mbrit.com, M-B-R-I-T-T, you'll find Michael's side business, which is making profiles of amplifiers for his beloved Kemper amps. He's known all over the world for having the best profiles for Kempers. He's a self-professed guitar nerd. So go to his website, mbrit.com, and check out his profiles and his gear. And uh, we laugh a lot when we get the chance to hang out. So here he is, my friend, Michael Britt. Michael Britt. Yes, sir. Good morning. How are you? Oh, man. I've rarely been better. I've been better, but rarely. But rarely. And you? I've been really good. It was a good weekend. I was home, off the road for a bit. It was nice. Well, and you uh, you won trophies? and I won gift card. I won $100 in gift cards nice. from my neighborhood cornhole tournament. See, what's funny is I only play cornhole with the band on the road. Oh, That's yeah. what we do when we're kind of bored on the road. Right. And I've gotten to where I beat everybody in the band, but I don't know how I compare to anyone outside right. the, the six or seven guys I play. So I went into this tournament not knowing if I was going to get my butt kicked the first round, and then I kept winning. Did you bring your own bags and everything? No, like they had, it, was, it was all set up. I just Our neighbor, Randy, used to be a nationally ranked cornhole player. Nice. And he's good. I want to be that good now. After doing that, I'm inspired. I'm going to. Really? Yeah. Heck yeah. I'm going to be on the tour circuit. Can I'm you get kidding. like. I don't have no. Lone have no Star idea. boards made and stuff? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. The the company that sponsored this little thing, I guess they, you can just pay a company and they'll come out and bring their boards and bags and oh, okay. do all the bracket and all that. Anyway, they make really nice boards. So I'm going to. Here's their card. It looks like a cornhole board. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But uh, yeah, I'm going to order some boards and bags from them because they're really good. Well, that's fantastic. Music City boards. Oh, yeah. Plug. And they can make like University of Texas oh, yeah, or Nebraska have, or whatever. Can, they can yeah. print anything, corporate logos, anything on it, yeah. You could probably get some really weird ones if you wanted. I but. won on the uh, guitar. That was my lucky board was the guitar boards. Nice. So um, I may just do those since there's the... Uh, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I like that. So, yeah, it was good. But then you're kind of stuck with an acoustic, though. I thought about switching it to electric, but it needs the sound hole, yeah. so I'm fine with that. <laughs> so, yeah, I won, I don't know how many rounds I played, six six or seven, until the bracket got, there were like 30 people to start with, so single elimination, beat everybody, and then I came home and made my award-winning chili and ate that the whole weekend watching football. Yeah. Any good games this weekend? No. Titans eked one out, but that wasn't pretty. Cowboys won big. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the old Titans are, how do you lose a 10-point lead in the last six minutes of a game and just barely, barely squeak it out? prevent defense. Yeah. Prevents you from winning. (laughs) (laughs) So... You're born in Fort Worth, is that correct? That is correct. Born in Fort Worth. Actually, a little suburb of Fort Worth called Everman. 
Actually, was born in Fort Worth, but okay. I went to school in Everman. Now, are you from a musical family? Not a bit. Really? I mean, my dad had a guitar in his closet, but I, I never, ever once heard him play. So how'd you get into guitar? Um, when I was in fifth grade, uh, I always liked music. Mm-hmm. I mean, my first record my mom got me when I got a record player was Elvis's Golden Hits or whatever. Oh, cool. A bunch of Elvis records. And then when I was in fifth grade, all the kids in my class were so into Kiss. It was like, yeah. so so 75, 76, 77 was, I just want to be in Kiss. Dude, that was Kiss Alive prime time. It was uh, Destroy Your Love Gun yep. and Alive too. Those uh, three, that was yep. my end of elementary school. But I probably just dreamed of being in uh, Kiss. Piss. And uh, <laughs> I, I would play my tennis racket, you know, oh, yeah. and pretend it was a guitar. And yeah. so then when I got old enough to earn my own money, or actually I got a guitar for Christmas one year, my sixth grade, seventh grade year. And it was really just a piece of junk. And I, and I got it. And I was thinking I was just going to miraculously know how to play, and I sure. didn't. Because so, you were cool to, in the mirror. Exactly. Yeah. So then I had to start learning, and it was a long, painstaking process. Yeah, I kind of uh, – I, I understand buying your child a $75 guitar because they may never play right. it. Mm-hmm. But you also have to understand that it hurts to play those guitars. Yeah, if you spend a little money and get something decent, then I'm a little more encouraged to – Play it for a couple Absolutely. hours. Absolutely. And as a parent, you can probably resell the $300, $350 guitar, and you're not going to be able to no. resell the $75 guitar for nothing. You're hoping your kid takes it to shop and makes a lamp out of it exactly. or something. So did you play any like band instruments, trumpet or drums? I played or trumpet in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. Okay. And then I quit right before high school because I was a little bit nerdy back then, and I'm still nerdy, but... Um, I was afraid I would be over-the-top nerdy if I had to wear a band uniform oh, and yeah. march on the field. Which now I see my son doing it, and I, I really feel like I missed out because it looks kind of fun now. It's pretty cool. But when you're that age, I was just yeah. so afraid of being looked at like I was a weirdo. Right. Yeah, and bringing your your trumpet case to school. Yeah, I didn't mind that. This is the marching I was really terrified of. Really? Yeah. I, I like it. I, I played drums though, so there was ten of us or whatever. So yeah. it's kind of hard to point yeah. out that, that I was just never a dancer the whole moving my body to anything just scared me I think but now you're a dancer no I'm not <laughs> <laughs> depends how much alcohol I have in me you're still sending your brain messages going okay move <laughs> move over here wait you're not on a walk move back wait what exactly so where'd you go to college or did you go to college I did I went to so I graduated from Everman and went to University of Texas at Arlington for two, okay. two and a half years. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, I think deep down I wanted to be a musician. And this friend of mine said, "You're this is, I mean, I was studying computer science when it was literally learning basic language. I Code mean, it was and- like, so you're talking early 80s. There were no computers. Nobody right. had a personal computer. There was just, yeah, I don't know what I was doing. And I... <laughs> And so I just I was floundering trying to be a computer science and a systems analysis major. And at the time I didn't even know what systems analysis was. But a friend of mine was in it and she said, You should do this. And I'm like, Okay. Okay. Um and now looking back, I'm thinking I would have been really good at systems analysis because yeah. it drives me nuts when there's not a system for everything and, right. and organization. So but I didn't even know what it was back then. So then so two and a half after two and a half years or after two years, uh I just kept I didn't know what I wanted to do, changing my major. I was working at a drugstore. My first job was working at a drugstore. But you're playing guitar the whole time. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. you know, playing at home, playing in little garage bands and, okay. and different bands. Um, 
but my college career was kind of just sputtering because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. And then, so after about two and a half years, I quit and just became a assistant manager for a drugstore and played music on the side. So I worked with a band called Canyon. Oh, yeah. That Keach was in. Mm-hmm. And then you replaced Johnny Boatwright, correct? So, yeah. So after, so I quit college for a couple of years and then was working at a drugstore. And then a pharmacist said, you should go be in pharmacy school and be a pharmacist. So then I moved to Austin, went to the University of Texas for okay. a couple of years um, as a pre-pharmacy major. And then uh, another friend of mine that was in a band uh, talked me into joining their band. So I quit college, quit my job, right. and went and played and a country band out of Waco. And that lasted about a year, a little over. You know Daryl Dodd? Yeah, absolutely. So Dar- it was Daryl's band. Okay. Uh, Daryl and Jeff McMahon that played for Tim McGraw for years and years. Oh, yeah. Greg Mangum, his brother's uh, – no. And Brett Beavers was the original bass player for that band. Really? And then Brett left. Anyway, so it was just everybody that yeah. – almost everybody in that group has lived in Nashville. Yeah. That. So it's strange that we were all living literally in a two-bedroom apartment. Right. And now we're all in different things, been in the music industry for 20-something years. So then, yeah, I got uh, right after that band. I got I auditioned for to replace Johnny. We were playing Santa Fe. That was the name of that band with Daryl. We were playing somewhere around Dallas, and somebody did. Hey, did you hear that uh, uh, Canyon's looking for a guitar player? And I was like, hmm, store that away. And then Daryl wanted to do something different, so yeah. the band broke up, and then I auditioned for Canyon. That's cool, man. And um, so, how did how did Canyon sort of evolve into Lone Star? So was that even right? It didn't really evolve, evolve into it, okay. but there were definitely some members that shared. Yeah. Um, so after you were at 16th Avenue Records, yep. correct? So after 16th Avenue folded. It's very good. You have good memory. Yeah. So after 16th <laughs> Avenue folded, that's when Johnny decided he was going to leave. Yeah. And so then I got hired um, to replace Johnny. And I, he was the first original member to leave. Right. But after Johnny, then uh, Steve Cooper was still trying to get a, a – yeah. A new record deal. Yeah, he stayed here, I think. Well, he was he was living in in Texas at the time, Dallas okay. area. But he he was having to go back and forth so much. He thought, you know, I'll probably get a I'll probably have a better chance of getting a record deal if I move to Nashville. Yeah. So he wanted to move the whole band to Nashville. Well, Randy, the bass player, right, and Jay, the keyboard player, didn't yeah. want to go. So and the drummer, Keith, just wanted to stay. So they all stayed, and then all of a sudden, I've got the most seniority of anybody except for Steve because right. we hired Joey Click. I don't know if you know Joey. I don't think so. And then got Jeff McMahon to play keys from okay. Santa Fe that I was just in. I called him up. So, so you did move up here. I did. We moved with Canyon. So me and Jeff got an apartment and uh, over in Antioch, Lower Antioch, yeah. and uh, East LA. <laughs> That's what we call East LA. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so then that version of Canyon, so it was, uh, we replaced uh, Keach with Mike Tucker, and then Jeff was a keyboard player. We played for about another six or eight months, and yeah. then finally Steve just said he called it quits. So then me and the drummer Mike Tucker were suddenly unemployed, and that's Mike Tucker, new Dean, our Lone Star keyboard okay. player. So Dean called... So this was all happening. Richie and Dean were getting ready to put together a duo just to play around town and make, make a little money. And then Canyon came off the road right about that time. And Dean said, why don't we just put a band together? So he called Mike Tucker, and Mike Tucker recommended me because I just played in Canyon with him. Right. And then got John Rich from Dean New from Opryland. And we had a steel player for our first two gigs, but then he's he's suddenly become the 
king of South Carolina, Myrtle Beach. So if you go to Myrtle Beach, you'll see Greg Rolls all over the billboards. Really? And stuff. Yeah, he was our original steel player. Dang. Like they said it for two gigs. <laughs> he was, yeah, we, well, we rehearsed and, you know, we all kind of took turns right. singing stuff, but Greg was uh, in it for one or two gigs. I forget. That's awesome. Yeah. So then how long was John in the band, Rich? From 92 ish or 93, whenever we started, yeah. uh, up through 97. How many records was he on? Two. Two? Okay. That's well, we did an EP before we got signed. So right. there was three technically, but yeah, it was two of the major label. The Lone Star self-titled it one, and then the Crazy Nights album. Right. You guys, I mean, this band is massive. You've had, what, nine or ten number ones, I think over 10 million records sold, ACM Single of the Year, CMA Vocal Group of the Year. And how, I mean, do you have any idea how many gigs you guys have done? Not a clue. I mean, I mean it's, it's it's a blur at this point. I used to remember most every gig. Not yeah. not necessarily every detail. I'm not savant or anything. But, yeah. But we would go someplace like, oh, we've been here before. But now we're going places. I'm like, I don't remember being here. And right. go, oh, yeah, you were here four years ago. I'm like, I, I hate that I've lost yeah. that. But it's we've done a lot of gigs. Yeah. You see your signed 8 by 10 in the yeah. office. <laughs> and you go, okay, well, okay, I guess we've been here. here. I'm not going to call you a liar. I mean, we started doing... Well, we played clubs for two and a half, three years before we got signed. So we were playing – back then there was a bar scene where you could make a living right. playing four or five nights a week in a bar because they hired live music. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like downtown Nashville where you get paid 75 bucks or whatever. And you get paid yeah. three or 400 bucks a week to play music, which was great. So was that before Lion Dance and took over and no, ruined it? Was it was during. During, And yeah. right at the tail end. Man. It, when line dancing got so big that families would come right. and they would stop drinking, that's when the clubs said, okay, we just can't afford to keep paying bands. Yeah. We'll just put a DJ there because they're not drinking. Right. And here's your 10 songs to play. Yeah, or yeah. Back to yeah. back to back to back to back. So how many dates are you guys doing now? We leveled off for the last few years at about 60 to 70. Uh, this year, we're all almost up to 100. Man. We have a new booking agency, so they're, they're working us. And it's, but it's good. It's not a bunch of one-offs. It's instead of working one day a week, we're working three days a week. Yeah. You know, so it's actually, it's better. And it's actually, I still like playing, so it's fun to go on the road. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So looking around at guitars here, <laughs> um, I always say like, when was, did I know that I was lost to the real world? Right. It was when I had more guitars than friends. Oh, I passed that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah that happened early on. Yeah. Like you say, man, when I used to sit and stare at Kiss Alive too, that when I unfolded it and saw the dragons and oh, all yeah. that stuff, it was oh, like, yeah. I want to go to there. <laughs> I want to do that. <laughs> I never did. But uh, so you don't do you write much anymore? No, I mean every now and then I will if I feel like I've got something to say. But yeah, I. Maybe I'm just jaded or whatever, but I just feel like I don't really have anything that anybody wants to hear. Yeah. No. I'm, yeah, happily married, and we own our home. And, and I'm not 20. I'm not just chasing exactly. girls. I'm not just going out drinking yeah. as, a, as a job. I mean, as I'll much. do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Still do it recreationally. <laughs> if, if it's handy. If it's handy. I mean, I'm just... Only when I'm working. Exactly. Seriously, I, it's funny yeah. that... I, I mean, I... I don't drink much at home because when I have the kids, I don't ever want to be the guy that says, oh, I can't take you. You just broke your arm. I can't take you to the hospital because I've been drinking. Right. You know, it doesn't make any sense. So No. So don't um, break your arm, kids. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's what we're trying to say. <laughs> Play safe. Exactly. Soft toys. No, but when I'm when I'm on the road, I know I've got a tour manager there that can make sure I'm, you know, 
well, where it, I'm supposed to be. I always thought that, I mean, I was never a big partier, but I always thought that when you're on uh, your bus on the couch, he's like, I literally only have to go eight feet. Oh, yeah. And I'm home. Yeah. And I can get there on hands and knees. <laughs> <laughs> and you've done it. <laughs> well, <laughs> not much. I have woken up with my head in the bus toilet throwing up. Now, this was years ago, back when I was a professional drinker. Yes. But, yeah, it's when everybody on the bus is getting mad and pouring bottles of water over my head because I'm occupying the only bus bathroom. Yeah. And I'm a, But I'm a, hugging it like it's my best friend. So was that when you were still wearing a cowboy hat? It was after. Well, <laughs> some of that might have been, yeah, that one actually was. The, one, the time I'm picturing was uh, kamikazes, which now I know why they call them kamikazes. Because, uh, yeah. From just killing yourself, right? But especially if you're flying a plane, exactly. But yeah, I was. Yeah, that was a bad night in North Carolina. See, now there's a song title right there. <laughs> All right, so you've gotten the name Doctor Kemper. That's got to make you feel pretty good. It is. It's kind of funny. Yeah, it's good to be known for something. And it, well, something else. Something else. Because yeah. you're already known. But so, how did the whole Kemper thing get started? Um. Being a gear nerd, see that that white amp there, the third yes. power amp. Yes. You know, well, it kind of all started. I don't know where you want to start. So the big Nashville flood. Okay. Right. Yeah. 2010 was it? I think that's right. I think that is correct. Um, a lot of my gear was wiped out. So. Oh really? At Soundcheck? Yeah, I had some bunch of stuff at Soundcheck. Oh, I, I had a Guytron amp that was ruined. I had a EVH. 5153 that was ruined and that's the one i was actually used on the road at the time um anyway a bunch of my amps got wiped out and then so i needed i got insurance money and i needed to go buy something so at the time there's a guy named jamie that was uh working he builds third power amps yeah. he was working out of tour supply or whatever tech star whatever it was called back then oh, right, right, right. and so i checked out one of his amps and instead of buying a replacement of what i had i bought one of his amps and then just kind of developed a relationship with him, you know, asking if I can get this. He's got another model coming out. And so anyway, I bought this British Dream amp from him when they when he made that. And then I finally asked him if he could put a fender on the where the <coughs> put a fender circuit where the Vox side was. So I could oh, have okay. a fender and a and a Marshall together. And so he did, and that that's what that amp is. And I love that amp and I used it all the time. And then we would go do fly dates, and I would be plugging my pedal board into a backline DeVille or you know, right. whatever. And I was like, oh, this sucks. Not that DeVille suck. It's just no, not that No, it's just amp. not what you're using. Right. So um, fast forward a little bit. I'm working for Line 6 temporarily just to have something to do. I was going went through a divorce, needed like just some extra income and some, something to do. Yeah. Um, so I was working for Line 6, and they called me one day and said, hey, do you mind – taking some gear, some of my Line 6 stuff, demo gear out to uh, Wolf Hoffman's house, the guitar player for oh, Accept. for Accept, yeah. He lives in, used to live in Mount Juliet. So he, they were cutting a record. They want to borrow the Variax for a sitar thing or something. So I take it over there. and this uh, For a sitar on an Accept record. Exactly. <laughs> so I take the stuff down there, and I meet Andy Snoop, who's – in town producing their record. He's oh, really? Famous producer guy from over in England, and I'm mean, a super nice guy. Judas yeah. Priest and yeah. Saxon, and, and he's out touring with somebody playing guitar. Priest, yeah, that's yeah. He took Glenn's place. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I've seen him twice in the last year, and he's freaking great guitar oh, yeah. player. It's amazing. So I drop the stuff off, and and Wolf is 
super gracious and kind. He's like, this is this. And then he shows me the Kemper sitting on their desk. And and so they solo up Mark, uh, the marshals that, of Wolves, mm-hmm. and then they solo up the Kemper tracks back and forth. I'm like, I can't tell the difference. So my light bulb went off. Hey, I can get that amp on a portable, yeah. my third power amp in a portable package. So I so I went home, Googled Kemper, did all the research and everything. And then about a month later, I bought one and profiled all my own amps. And I was just going to use it for, for fly dates. And then it got to where it, it sounded so good. And I could get, I started seeing all the, the benefits of using just the Kemper. Yeah. And so I started using it. And that's, that's been since 2013. So not six years. Yeah, I think anybody, especially in your line of work where you need something that's going to sound exactly the same night after night after night, that's the only way to go, man. You'd love to take your fragile marshals and third powers on the road, but they're just going to get destroyed. Well, there's there's things I can do on the Kemper that I cannot do in the real world. Yeah. I can't have a Fender Princeton sound and a 50-watt Marshall sound be the same volume. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so then you've got different volumes, different cabinets. It would take so much cabling and cabinets and mixers just to get that. Which which you used to have out there with four heads and the giant. (laughs) I remember you called me one time and said, dude, I hate to even ask you this because – but." Is there any way you'd want to come out and guitar tech just for two nights? And I yeah. go, dude, I would love to, but I go, if if you go dark on stage, <laughs> I'm just going to throw my hands up and go, here's a cable. We got a 57 in front of a Fender Champ, and that's yeah. about all. I go, I can't chase that sound, man. Yeah. And you build all that yourself. Yeah. I was a nerd. I man. still I do most of my own work, guitar work and stuff anyway. I mean, if it's fret stuff, I'll take it to somebody that knows yeah. what they're doing. But just set up and maintenance and stuff, I tend to do all that on that little workbench. Yeah, right man. I know. I love that thing. I can do – I do most of my stuff unless it's like a truss rod because I'm I'm our frets, yeah. But I'm really nervous about I don't, it. I don't mess with nuts or frets, but I'll yeah. do truss rods, bridge adjustments, any of that kind yeah. of stuff. You change pickups and knobs and oh, all that God, stuff? Oh, yes, yeah. Do you? Oh, yeah. I, I Very few of these have been unmolested. <laughs> Now, if they're super high dollar guitars, I will tend to not yeah. molest them quite so much. Um, but yeah, like even the Sewer, which I had custom ordered, and it's a great guitar, but yeah. it didn't sound as good as my Anderson with three P90s. So I thought, oh, well, how can I make the Sewer sound a little bit more vintagey? So I took the P90s apart and swapped magnets in them. Oh, really? Because it was going to be so much mess to just swap the pickups that, because they've got a dummy circuit built in there and it's like 10 pounds of crap in a five pound bag in that little cavity. It's a freaking MacGyver and they're situation. All, you know, tied together. I was like, oh, that's, I would never yeah. get that back together pretty and make it fit. So <laughs> right. I just thought, well, I can, I can swap magnets on P90s. I've done that. I've done that before. So, Man. and it did. It softened them up just enough. I love guitars. I love guitars. What all do you have over there? You want to just go down your list real quick? Yeah. And this is just the the home stuff. How much of this goes on the road with you? Well, we, we're off for a couple of weeks, so I did bring a lot of this. You stuff. brought it all home, okay? Um, my Les Paul is in the case over by the door, and my Duesenberg's over. Right. It's not in this room. That's those are things I've had on the road, but I brought them home, but I, I didn't bring, I didn't uncase them yet. Right. Those are over there. I've got a Crowdster Anderson acoustic, which anytime we do acoustic shows, I'll use that. And it sounds oh god, great. It sounds and it and plays it great. Will not feedback and plays yeah. great. Yeah, it's. We did a, a acoustic tours years ago, probably 2013, and I was really having trouble because where I sit on stage, I'm over by the PA stacks a lot. Oh yeah, the subs are literally six feet from me, and so 
I was having trouble with real acoustics just feeding back too yeah. much. So I, Tom sent me one of those to try, and I loved it. So then I had one custom made for it's me. It's beautiful, man. Tiger Eye Quilt. Yeah, it's pretty. I like pretty wood. I mean, if I'm going to have a guitar, I'm gonna, That's how I, am. I want to be a pretty guitar. Most of my guitars are natural or sunburst or yeah. something just because I'm, I'm the same way, man. I just think there's so much like that Tom Anderson right there. Look at the top on that thing. It's pretty. It's just, yeah, it's freaking That's my gorgeous, one. Man. I just got that last, or a couple weeks ago. I'm a sucker for hey, Andersons in general, but three, yeah. pi- three pickups, tremolo. I mean, it does pretty much anything I want it to do. I had to sell my only Tom Anderson that I bought from Wade Hayes. Did you? Yeah. I really wish I still had it. but I've gone through probably 12, and I've, I think I own four now. So Dang. I've sold more than I've kept, but... So then what's, the, what's the deal with the exotics? I love the exotics. They um, Where are they out of? California. Oh, okay. The owner is Japanese. Okay. Um, but they build them in California, I believe. Okay. They, they do really good relicing work. Yeah, and yours look teeth. awesome. And the necks just feel like it's a satin finished neck. I don't know how they do that, but it's just... It's freaking gorgeous, man. Yeah, I've got two strats and one telly of theirs, and not there. It's my favorite strat. I had almost quit playing strats live, or I did. Yeah, for years, I just never couldn't get them to work. And then I got my first exotic, and I loved it so much. And then this one just kind of happened into my lap. A friend of mine had it for trade or sell, so I traded something for this one. Hmm. And this is now my favorite. But I do swap pickups, even though the exotic pickups are fantastic. I yeah. just needed something hotter. Oh, yeah. Because I play my P90 guitar so much. They right. Need to, they need to keep up in the same volume range. And so I got these. Uh, there's a Duncan set called Antiquity Texas Hot. So okay. it's, it's an antiquity set, but the, the bridge pickup is super hot. It's like a nine point something K. Oh, man. But it sounds almost like a telly, but not so fat. Right. So it still sounds like a strap, but it's got a lot of output. Yeah, I'm a huge, huge P90 fan myself. I love I just think they're they're bridging a gap, and I don't hardly see people ever using them, and I can't figure that out. I don't know. It's like, dude, if you take 10 minutes and play with them, it's just the coolest thing ever. Now, they are noisy. Yeah. But my sewer has uh, their, their noise thing in it, Hum which is a dummy coil. Yeah. And my main, Anderson. Oh. Hey, that might be success calling. <laughs> that might be me not remembering to turn my phone off. Hey. But I put dummy coils in a lot of my guitar. That Strat has that's a dummy coil backplate. So oh, you told me about that. There's a company called Illich, or it's a guy guy named Illich Illich Electronics. I L I T C H. That's but, cool. Um, a lot of my I've after the first one worked so well, I just keep buying them any yeah. single coil guitar that needs to be hum canceling because it still sounds like the actual pickups. Hmm. So back to the camper thing. Have you played with the Fractal at all? I have. I've, uh, they sent me. Uh, a couple of their units, the AX8 and the uh, XL2 Plus. Okay. And I like it. There's, I do feel like I spend more time tweaking and looking for my sound in it. Right. And the Kemper, since I profile all my own stuff, yeah. my sound's already kind of in there. I wouldn't sure. have, It's not in there unless I thought it sounded good at the time. I kind of am under the impression that, like, on those two things specifically, whichever one you started using first right. is the one you're going to use for the rest of your life. Because yeah. yeah. they're kind of similar. I mean, they're they, similar, but they're they, different. It's yeah. a different architecture and everything. Well, how many amps do you think you've profiled so far? 150, maybe. Man. And for each of those, you're talking anywhere from 5 to 30 profiles of each amp. So it's in the thousands of profiles. It's a lot. 
That's a lot. Yeah. Dude, but, I mean, when I go to your website, mbritprofiles.com. Or just mbrit.com now. I've, oh, I've migrated over. Ah, but your packages, your ant packages and stuff are super reasonable. I mean, you could, it would be easy to buy way more of your amps than I would need, but well, I would do and that. Well, a lot of people do. They'll buy the whole thing. And I try to tell people don't do that. I mean, really? I'm not trying to hurt my sales, but it's just so overwhelming to yeah. have that many options. I mean, yeah. find grab find the two or three kind of amps that you kind of gravitate towards in the real world and try to right. find those. Now, I do in my multi-packs, which I kind of prefer those anyway, I always try to throw stuff in that maybe people hadn't heard of. Oh, that's That cool. would really like. And so they'll stumble on something that's like, wow, I've never... Never even heard of a Quidly amp, but right, you know, some, some kind of boutique amp that yeah. they wouldn't have there. Yeah, exactly. That's like cool, the Bletchley amps in my pack one. People love those, and it's bless you. Um, so it was the guy from Naylor, one of the guys from Naylor started oh, okay. Bletchley amps, and Bletchley was the town in England that Marshalls were from. So they're basically oh, right. glorified Marshalls. Okay, they're really well made. Well, how do you decide if an amp is worthy of being profiled, or do you just? see something new and go, I've never had one of those or I tried not to get just a bunch of new amps. Most of the amps I profile are either boutique or vintage. Right. Um, Cause most, uh, not to bag new amps, but most of them I just don't really like as much. Well, I was going to ask you that too. Do you ever profile an amp that you just don't like, but yeah. you, you need, it needs to be on your, your kind of yeah. catalog I mean, anyway? Yeah. And I'm not, cause I'm not a big high gain amp kind of guy, right. but I know people want a diesel and want different things. And yeah. And if I've got buddies that have them, I can borrow them or whatever. I, I try not to buy those kind Cause if I try to buy the ones that I think I might actually want to keep afterwards. Right. And so that's what I've kind of got around the house is the stuff that I've just really liked. After yeah. Profiling all these different apps, you know, hundreds of different apps. These are like some of my favorites. Yeah. Because I want to be able to reprofile these over and over if I want to use it live. And I still base – I don't think about – I think a little bit about what customers might want, but I really think about what I need sometimes on the road. Okay. And so I'll think, wow, I could really use a new Marshall tone. Right. And so I'll either reprofile my 72 Marshall or look for another Marshall that might do the trick. Hmm. Is there still like the – I know you said you've done Dumbles, right? I did a real Dumble and I yeah. did a bunch of a few Dumble clones. Yeah. Is there still a Holy Grail amp you haven't? I don't know. Had yet? I mean, it's. I mean, I've done a '69 Plexi yeah. and a '65 AC30. I mean, I've done some really nice amps. I had a '67 AC30, and it is a ridiculous amp. Yeah. It's the the d- design of it and everything. The control panel on top was all melted. Oh, wow. And that thing ran so hot that I had to have a fan on it when I was playing it. And then I have a road case for it. And I had to wait about 30 minutes for it to cool down or it would melt the foam inside the road case. Oh, yeah, they run hot to begin with. But and that's bad. It's like a plexi. It's like yeah. you really need to be moving some air oh, yeah. to make that thing sound like it should. Right. And, yeah, man, AC30, those things. So I've been really lucky to have really cool amps. That yeah. I'm to the point now where I don't know what else I would want. Or right. Need. I've just got, I've got more than I need already. Shh, don't ever say that. Your wife might be listening. <laughs> <laughs> now it's like uh, Gordon Kennedy, because my dad said in a joking way, how many guitars do you need? One and more. I got, yeah, and Gordon, <laughs> Gordon said the answer is always just one more. <laughs> I was just saying that yesterday to somebody. But that does not uh, it does not fly with my with my wife. But I did buy a, a 
82 ES335 this year. Nice. Which is really sweet. I like that a I lot. I had a 70, 71. Did you? It looked just like Larry Carlton's. Oh, man. But it had a headstock break, and the neck was one of those really thin ones. And I always just had such a hard time playing it. Yeah. Not that I've – I've got short, small hands, but I just couldn't – I don't know. It was just always a chore to play. It looked yeah. great. I just wasn't a future – and the pickup sounded fantastic. I think there were T-tops, but, man, it, I fought it. I always felt like I was having to baby it. So I got – I sold that and got the black 335 the same day. It's yeah. a 2018, one of the new ones, but I like it's, that. it's really nice. So is there like, say Tim Pierce calls you and says, I need to recreate the sound from the toy matinee record. I mean, can you help somebody do that? Because he'll go like, I don't have the same amps that I had back then. You know, what's, what would you have that can help me do that? I mean, have you ever been approached like that or have you been approached? Well, not by Tim, but I've had definitely, I've had lots of people come up and ask for me for last week, a guy, one of the bass players, or he's, I think he was a bass player for accept. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, called me and said, Hey, uh, we're doing this. Uh, he goes, I'm doing this side project thing. It was, we were, we're trying to recreate ACDC tones. Do you have anything that would work? So I just came home and, Ran through all my different marshals and, right. and made him some some sounds and, and sent him over to see if he likes them. So I've and another buddy of mine does is doing a keyboard uh, sound pack and oh, okay. uh, for Prince 19, the nineteen ninety nine album. Oh wow! And so I'm going to try to do some sounds for that. So I that's actually that's a fun job for me because yeah. if I don't have any apps to profile and somebody comes up with that kind of stuff, I did I did a Billy Idol one that somebody requested through an email, and so I just. I just kind of brainstorm, listen to the record, and kind of try to recreate it on here. Yeah, Steve Stevens has some neat tones. Oh, yeah. And I don't know that I'm getting right on the money, but it's it's close enough for if you want to fake it. Yeah. Well, I told my wife, and I told you, I think you're so smart because when you're doing all those different tones, even for the same amp, different profiles, you use the same guitar, and a lot of times you'll do some wheelie, 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 then you'll hit like a G, D, E, and then... For the next tone, you do the same exact thing because it's always like, well, yeah, but if you're using a Les Paul on one of these tones, a Tele on one tone, a Strat on the other, well, then you don't really know what the amps itself right. sounds like. Right. So I think you're so smart doing that. Well, thanks. I've watched enough bad YouTube videos that I just tried to think, okay, I need to play some big open chords yeah. and then play some single note stuff. And I just – and and you're all the time – at the same time, you're trying not to – land on any copyrighted material so sure. for more yeah. than four seconds or whatever. So I try to just, you know, <laughs> try to keep them off my back, but uh, still trying to show off what the amp does. And and I do use the same guitar for all the clips just yeah. for that reason, just so you can compare them side by side. Is that Anderson going to get replaced for the clips by this Anderson? I don't know. That I'm still toying with the pickups in that. Yeah. They're such a weird – it's the M, M series pickup, and they're a weird size, so – Trying to replace them with anything but the M series is tricky. Oh, really? So I'm I'm messing with that guitar currently. They're almost like uh, what's the Les Paul that had the the a little mini hums? Yeah, mini hums. Yeah, that's they're almost that kind of size. They are, but they're they're supposedly voiced to sound almost like single coils, but just without the hum. And so they kind of do, but I found them to be just a tad on the dark side. So I put one of those Creation Labs Redeemer circuits in it. Just to bring in the high frequencies, and then I was playing it last week. I was sitting there soldering capacitors, you know, <laughs> off and on to all the hot wires to try to roll off the low end. 
So that's I'm a I'm a nerd, yeah. Dude. But yeah, this the red one, the red Anderson is probably still my number one. Yeah. I now love when that. I'm actually making the profiles, then it's this Anderson. Right. For anything except for high gain stuff, I'll use this guitar. Because this these this bridge pickup is like money. It's yeah. Sounds good through. Is that an Anderson pickup? Yeah. TD three plus. Then what's the humbucker in there? HC one minus. So yeah, this is my main hollow T, and it's uh, it's so, if I have profile an amp that's not a high gain amp, that I I made the profile with this, and then I check it with the red one. Okay. After the fact. So you said that's chambered. It is. And I know because I put my hand through it right right. right oh. There. You know, end of an end of a show, kind of trying to get the sustain or you know whatever. You can hit them too hard. I found out. Well, there, there you go, dude. You're so great at, at describing tones and stuff. And I found my favorite Frank Zappa quote ever, and he said, "Talking about music is like dancing about architecture." But you have a great way of describing tones. You know, I mean, and I think also anybody that has a camper or Tom Anderson or whatever, they're already at a pro level gear wise. It's not, you know, what your nine year old is playing in the bedroom. So they probably know what you're talking about when you describe something as spongy or whatever. Right. And that's, that's a real talent, man. Well, I've blessed or cursed. I'm not one of those super creative people. Like, you know, the Keith Urban's of the world, they just, it flows out of them. Well, and they can just sit and play and just, Take you somewhere. I think I am not. I mean, I, I'm 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 a decent player, uh, but I think the fact that I'm half right brain and half left brain, it really helps me do what I need to do because I can yeah. listen to a tone and I can kind of hear what frequencies are jumping out and know what frequencies they are. So I know how to yeah weed them out. Or I've worked with moving microphones enough to know what right what I'm going to get if I move it this way or that way. What mic are you using to? Mike, your cabinets for always a fifty-seven, and then I do a ribbon mic in addition to it. So either a Royer one hundred and one or a Cascade Fathead is what I've been using lately. You ever use a Royer one twenty-one? I did at first. Um, it is a very sensitive ribbon, and I push a whole lot of air. So the re- the way I found the Fatheads was I was um, sending my Royer one twenty-one in to get re-ribbon for the <laughs> second or third time. <laughs> And because those ribbons are, this, I don't know if you've ever seen them. It's like a super mic, like three or four microns thick yeah. of just metal that is kind of corrugated. And it, once it gets stretched, it just sags and oh, it does yeah. not sound the same. So I'm surprised that it's that sensitive only because I know like Pat Buchanan that he always brought his with him yeah. and he'd have a Marshall 412 and he was always diming that thing with the 121. I mean, they work. Yeah. But they, not for long. Well, yeah. And if you're just blending with 57, it's probably fine. Yeah. But I just found the the fathead microphones, the ribbon's just slightly thicker, so it's just a little bit more durable. I don't have to have it re-ribboned all right. the time. I ended up selling the Royer 121 after a while, and then I just bought the 101, which has the thicker ribbon, more similar to the Cascade, but right. it's a little more uh, robust housing. But this sound-wise for my profiles, I almost just prefer the Cascade, the way it blends with the 57. Now, if I'm just using it, one by like a ribbon mic by itself, I probably wouldn't use the fathead. I would right. use a Royer okay. or the 121, especially because they sound better by themselves. What, what's but your, when you're blending with a 57, I like the Cascade. What's your sound uh, situation live? Are you running 
everything just Kemper direct? I know you have a cabinet on stage just to feel a little yep. something, but is that's not mic'd though? No, not mic'd at all. It's just Kemper direct too. Yeah. XLRs out of the Kemper. I run stereo because I can run. I don't have to worry about a separate line for my acoustic now. If I ever play acoustic, I can just run it through the Kemper because I have oh, that's cool. acoustic preamps modeled yeah. now, profile too. So I can run everything. So it's it's really cool. Even on acoustic shows, I'll use my Kemper because I've got reverb and compression yeah. and makes the acoustic sound even bigger and better. Do you ever find yourself just going a little crazy when you hear a song on the radio because you, know you know who played something and that's your – profile or you're just listening and going like what the crap is he playing <laughs> what is that i don't know about records yet because i don't know who all's used what on records oh right but i i had kind of one of those moments a few weeks a few months ago i saw the jonas brothers on saturday night live and i'm mm-hmm. not a big jonas brothers fan but it, it, the song was really good and the yeah. playing was fantastic and the, the guitar player in the back he was he looked more than just like a side guy I mean, right he, he had some personality and he sounded great and then, so I looked up who it was, and his name's Tom Crouch. And so I thought, that sounds really familiar. How do I know that name? So I looked up my old emails, and right. sure enough, I had sent him some profiles. He's a fr- He was buddies with somebody that knew me. I think it was the guitar player for Saturday Night Live, Jared. Oh, yeah. Um, he put, put him in touch with me, and I sent him some profiles. And then, sure enough, he was using my profiles on that TV show. That's kind of cool. It was really cool. And then when they came through Nashville... Uh, the guitar player for BB Rex was using my profiles. Oh, okay. And Tom from Jonas Brothers. Right. And two of the Jonas Brothers that were playing guitar were using my profiles in their campers. Man. And the opening band, which is Phil, Dr. Phil's son, uh, he was using a camper, and I think he had my profile. So almost every guitar tone yeah. held the whole dog. Heard the whole night was mine. And I was like, that's just freaky. I would never have pictured that. You just walk in front of the stage and go, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) And I went and saw Seven Dust at uh, Cannery. Oh, Uh, yeah. I love those guys. And the guitar tech was, I met him through Kemper stuff. And and I even profiled custom stuff for for that that tour, basically. They go, do you have any new EVH 5150s or any other ones? I go, I've got the amp in my other room. I'll, I'll just profile some. So they wanted some direct and some whatever. So right. I profiled those just for them and sent them. And that was what they were using on tour. So you do like like an amp like that that's made to just for urban renewal, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> Will you just do varying stages of gain? Like yep. put the distortion on two, then five, then yep. diameter, whatever. Yeah, I'll just kind of find my little sweet spot. Yeah. There. And I'll, I'll grab a guitar with humbuckers, you know, right. for that kind of thing. Um and I'll try different speakers, you know, I'll try it with a vintage 30 or... Oh, okay. I use my classic lead 80 on almost everything just because it does not impart any breakup. Yeah. So I want the amp to sound like the amp, not the amp right. to sound like a greenback. Yeah. Because I could run any of these amps through a greenback and they will sound like the greenback more than they'll sound like the, yeah. amp, the amp. Yeah. So I try... And some marshals need that because some, some marshals were voiced for that. Yeah. And if you ever get a marshal that's super bright, you're like, okay, that... That wants to go on a 412 with greenbacks. That's the one thing. Like, uh, I read a uh, an interview with Steve Stevens, and I've got a 69 Custom that came with Seymour Duncan distortions, but and but the back front one wasn't working, and the back one kind of was, and I took the plate off, and it looked like MacGyver had built this wiring harness with a <laughs> shoestring and a Mr. Coffee and a peeled onion. <laughs> and it's like, well, this is stupid. I need to – I don't even know if these pickups really work. So I read this interview with Steve Stevens, and he talked about his bare knuckles pickups. And he said, I want the amp 
to distort, not the pickups. Yeah. So this way, when you roll the volume off, it really cleans up. Oh, it's yeah. not like a lower level of distortion, like an EMG or something. It's right. just a really clean pickup. And that's, so I know, yeah, exactly what you're saying, which I, I love that. Yeah. And I, I tend to prefer lower <laughs> output humbuckers. Yeah. Higher output singles. So that they're all kind of in that P90 range. Yeah. So I can, I don't have to re EQ sounds yeah if i just want to switch guitars or take a different guitar out that week or whatever i don't have to completely rewrite my kemper you know patches or whatever i would think that sound guys would love kempers i my every sound guy that we've had since in the last five years love it yeah there are no open mics to bleed yeah um and it's more consistent night after night than using microphones and and in the past i was such a weirdo i would take i would you know, some guys just go and then they rely on the sound company to put mics on their yeah. I brought my own mics. I mean, I brought my ribbon mic and my 57. Try to make it as consistent as you yeah, can. Yeah, I had a plexiglass thing with baffling all around it. I've tried uh, ISO cabinets and stuff. And, but so every night, I, and I had my speaker marked. You can still see the little dots yeah. on that where every <laughs> night it would be marked in the same place. And even then, there was more variation than what I get yeah. with this. Well, it's just you also it's it's indoors, it's outdoors. There's 100% humidity, there's no humidity and and now your tubes yeah. are a day older. They've been on for another 6 hours or whatever and you there's nothing you can do about that. That and for the first 3 or 4 years I would use a a guitar head as a power amp to power my stage right. guitar cab. I had two or three blown fuses in that time and not one Kemper fail. You know, so it's like the tube amp is all I'm using it for is power for my stage cab, and it's still breaking down more than the Kemper ever did. And you can take two guitars and a backpack with a Kemper in it and play Madison Square Garden or the bar down the street, whatever. Yeah, it's and it's scalable volume wise. Like I could even my old big rig, you know, I had two amps and the baffles and all that. I a it took three channels instead of just two for the front of house because I would blend my two mics on my main cabinet and have my stereo cabinet just one mic on it, but. So I was using more channels, and then um, I would get on. We'd play everything from outdoor things where I can blast air, yeah, and it sounds great there. And then we'd go play a casino where there's an 88 dB limit, and so now I'm turning the the amp down, and it just the tone sucks. Totally different. Yeah. So the Kemper has that cranked amp sound all the time. Yeah, and now I've with this cab, I can just turn the volume up or down depending on what the stage needs, and it has no effect on the front of house. I freaking love that thing, man. It's pretty. It's just a, a one knob, Why no not? waiting volume, <laughs> and it's tube, and, and it's it, just got a guitar speaker in it, and it looks like a classic old radio, man. Yeah. What is it? Uh, valve train. Valve train. Yeah. So the front, uh, I didn't, I didn't know this at first, but I, now I see it. But like the little cutout on the front, yeah, it's supposed to look like one of the cow catchers on the front of a train. Oh yeah. So. Fancy schmancy, but that's my signature valve train. That's awesome. So you're really taking out that. You have a rack with a camper in it and a tray full of pedals. Yep, and a wireless. And And a wireless. And do you use the camper switcheroo? I do. I use the camper remote to control everything. And I've got a – it's a Voodoo Lab Hex pedal loop switcher. Okay. So the the six pedals that I have in the rack – each one of them is in a different loop in the hex. Okay. And I can program that so that when I 
change presets on the Kemper, it's it tells the hex, hey, go to program number four or whatever, and that will turn on whichever group of pedals or pedal I have in, in number four. Man. So yeah, for just I can just press one button and it'll change the amp tone or whatever, yeah. and it'll turn pedals off or on the loop, and it can tell it. I can program it for the loop to be before the amp section or after the amp section. Oh, that's cool. So if I want the tremolo after the amp, I can do that. Right. Or just leave it in the front. And my gain pedals always hit before the amp section. Yeah. And then I've got a big, huge Hall of Fame reverb thing with pitch shifting and all that, just for one one or two songs. Yeah. The big. But that's also what's so cool is you can you can program that stuff oh, yeah. in there so you're not carrying around a pedal board as big as this room or a rack as big as your refrigerator or any of that stuff. And I don't know how much I don't know how necessary having the pedals is. I mean, I think my big rig does sound sound better, bigger. Yeah. But when I do fly dates, I just take the new uh, Kemper stage oh, yeah. all in one floorboard thing and I don't use extra pedals for that and it still sounds good. Yeah. It's just if you a beat them right next to each other, the the big rig with pedals in it might sound 10% bigger because there's something with the low end. It, it just blooms more in, yeah. on that rig using pedals for gain instead of the amp models. I bet your fans couldn't tell it. They would not be able to tell. <laughs> I mean, this, I wouldn't be able to tell if I heard just mixes from the front of house. Right. I don't know that I would be able to tell which rig I was using. Yeah. But also big rigs are fun because they have more lights. That, and it's, it's actually easier for my tech setup. It's fewer, Fewer cable. All the cabling oh, is done in the rack, so right. really he has two or three things to plug in. Now, if I'm using this, the Kemper stage for fly dates, you know, there's, the pedal board's not put together. Like, my pedal board out front is just literally a board, right. but it's got my expression pedals and that mounted on yeah. it. So, literally, it's just plug plug one cord in and you're done. Ready to go. The With the fly rig, it's <clears> a little bit more plugging stuff in. And yeah. Out. So, really, the, the big rack is just, hey, it's a huge drink holder. <laughs> I put my drink on top and my PQ for my monitors, and then it makes it easier for my tech to set up. My tech has this tape ring, you know, like the big rolls of gaff tape. Yeah. And it's a white piece of tape, and it always says coffee on it, Mike's coffee or Roy's coffee. They call me Roy when I drink, so, and I don't drink coffee. So you can do the math. It's If there's a cup on stage, it's not coffee, even right. though it's in the coffee ring. That's Roy's coffee. That's Roy's coffee. That's awesome. <laughs> you want to do the lightning round? Oh, yes. This is uh, – I know you're very analytical and you're a thinker, but just don't think about this. Don't just, think. Just okay. answer. What's your favorite book? Well, see, you made me think. Sorry. I love The Kite Runner. That was one of okay. my favorite books. Are you a bath or a shower guy? Shower. I don't understand baths. I don't either. Sit there in a soup of your own filth. What are the first two things you put in a bathtub? Exactly. Your stinky feet and your stinky butt. <laughs> after that, how are you going to feel clean after that? Uh, what's the last gift you gave someone? Uh, a scooter, a Razor scooter. Nice. It was the little girl next door yesterday. Oh. I was cleaning out the garage yesterday, and I found this Razor scooter that my daughter had when she was younger. And right. thought she didn't need this anymore. And there were kids playing next door, so I gave it away. Nice. What was the first concert you saw, and how old were you? Jimmy Swaggart. Come on. <laughs> it's true. It's sad. Dude. No, it might have been the Happy Goodman family. Okay. Happy Goodman's might have been my first concert. I had to be eight. Dang. Happy Good. My parents were big into that Southern Gospel kind yeah. of singing. Well, they call it singing. So we'd go to the singing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, it'd just be praise and worship stuff for 
six hours. Yeah. Yeah. Felt like longer, but it was probably right. three or yeah. yeah. But Happy Goodman, I don't know if you ever saw Howard Goodman play. Man, he would he'd play piano, piano but his hands yeah. would be like two feet off the keys between strokes. It'd be like crazy. <laughs> I mean, he was a rock star. Dude. Not like Jimmy Swaggart. No. Banging prostitutes rock star. But, but like an actual, <laughs> actual musician rock star. Now, my first non-singing concert okay. was probably Merle Haggard. And then after that, I saw Poco, I think. Dang. So it's kind of all over the board. Yeah, Haggard's my, my all-time fave. I saw him at Six Flags in Arlington, and he was so hammered, he messed up his own songs. <laughs> the band was starting one song, and he started singing a different one. <laughs> Boys. <laughs> So what's your favorite place to travel? Oh, I do love to travel. Um, we always have great shows in California. I love going to California. Yeah. Just the weather's nice. I love driving around. I used to rent a car. So, But also Canada's great. Uh, I just like seeing stuff. Yeah. I try to, when we go on the road, I want to not just sit in a hotel room. Yeah. Back in the old days, we had a trailer with motorcycles in it. We would just tool around. But now I just... Like if I have time, if I have more than a day, I'll run a car and drive around. Yeah. I love Southern California. What would you be doing if you weren't doing what you do? Oh, I was an English major in college. Nice. I was going to be an English teacher. All right. I like that. I just, yeah, I'm so glad I did not do that. Yeah. But you probably would have been good at it. Yeah, might have been. What's your favorite uh, electric guitar and acoustic guitar? Not even maybe that you own, mm. but just... Like if money were no object, what would you buy that you don't have? That I don't have. Ooh. Or I would buy red again. Red's my, yeah, yeah. That'll be the last guitar to ever go. Yeah, yeah. That's one of those guitars that it. There's just something about it you can't even explain. No, but you know it. And the poor thing's been through hell. Yeah, I've swapped pickups in it numerous times, and now these have been in it for a long time. But uh, yeah, I love red. So red's what, my red Tom Anderson. Yeah. So, um, acoustic. I used to have a bourgeois and I liked it, but it was an OM. I would mm-hmm. love to have a bourgeois country boy, you know, the, the big yeah, the Ricky Skaggs slope. one. Yeah. The big slopey, the slope D is what they call it. Yeah. Oh, that's the one I want. In print, in quotation marks, the banjo, the banjo killer. killer. Yeah. yeah. That's the one. <laughs> Brian Sutton's banjo killer. I had a bourgeois that I just sold not too long ago. Because I had all these other guitars, and it was such a great guitar, but I just never played it. Because I always played all these other ones, and yeah. I just thought, well, I to- I made Amy a deal. If I buy that three thirty five, I'll sell the bourgeois. So I did. Yeah, but, I try to have a one in one out policy now. If I buy a new guitar, yeah, like that one I'm gonna have to sell something. Just that's fair. I feel like a glutton. I've yeah. got so much nice stuff, and it's not fair. Well, but you earned it. Yeah. That's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> So what's next for you guys? Um, I don't know. We may talk about making a new Lone Star record next year. I'm not sure. Cool. Uh, we're on the we're doing a Phil Vassar Christmas tour for the second year. Oh, uh, nice! This Christmas, so we'll be busy all that, through December. Will that be acoustic? No, no. It's Full a big on? band. Nice. What's cool is for good half of the show we got both bands playing together: two drummers, That's two bass cool. players, everything. It's crazy, dude. It's like the Almond Brothers or something. It is, there. but we did a, we did a really cool version of uh, the Trans Siberian Orchestra's uh, Carol of the Bells. Ding, diddy, dum, ding, but yeah, the real metal version of it. We did that with me and Jeff. I don't know who Jeff if you know Jeff, the guitar player for Phil Vassar. I don't. He's a super guy. But me and him were just up there doing all the twin guitar rock and stuff. It was awesome. That's cool. 
That's very cool. I have that was wh- the highlight of the show. I'm just literally every night standing ovation. That's when you had another cup of coffee. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the cool thing about that show, and this is the first time it's ever happened in our whole career of what 27 years, is we got to leave the show or leave the stage. We played like three or four songs, did our bit, and then we leave the stage for like 15, 20 minutes, and we're just hanging out backstage, watching Phil, and just it was like the most relaxed tour ever. It's a great idea it was too. Awesome. Yeah. And then we go back and do all the fun stuff with Phil together and yeah. end the show big. It was a blast. Smash a flying V like Kiss. I did use my flying V. Nice. For the Carol of the Bells. For Carol of the Bells? Yeah. I have one last bit oh, of no. weirdness. Okay. Your wife, Latasha. Yes. Used to live in Wenatchee, Washington. That is true. So did I. No way. Yep. You're kidding. I was in a band out there. I lived in Wenatchee and East Wenatchee. You're kidding. Nope. And I married a girl from Chelan. You're Just kidding. Little, nope. So she grew up in in Leavenworth, which you know okay. where Leavenworth is. Yeah, yeah. Just west of Chelan. Um, but yeah, she she was living in Wenatchee when I met her. She was working for the local radio station and yep. they were presenting our show. That's where I'm It's at. a pretty place, man. It is gorgeous. And that the, ski place right up above uh, the Wenatchee Mission Ridge. site. Yeah, Mission Ridge. It's yeah. Her kids still live in East Wenatchee. Man. Yeah, I, we go up there at least twice a year. She's up there a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Wenatchee, when did you live there? I quit college to join a band out there. See, me and you both quitting college. Yeah. Yeah. And now look What at would us. you be doing if you weren't doing this right oh, now? Oh, man. I would probably want to do something I am neither trained or qualified <laughs> to do. Like, I mean, seriously, I would have loved to done something in like law enforcement or college football. Those two go together. Well, they do anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but something, but you're always a sports sports kind of guy. Yeah. 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 Weekends, man. are just, and thank, thank, thank the Lord that I married a girl who loves college football as much as I do and loves Ferraris as much as I do. So nice. I can watch racing as much as I want and she's fine with so that. So what's your college team? Nebraska, just because I am I was born and raised okay. there. So it's been a that's, hard. That's about to say, that's a tough one. <laughs> hard couple of years, man. We always go, yeah, I look at the 90s. Yeah. The 90s, that was 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. it's been, been a tough couple of sledding So years. I went to UT, so I'm still kind of a Longhorns fan, but that's been a yeah. rough road. They're actually decent now. Yeah, they're, they're getting, still not great. They've pretty much are almost done turning the corner. But I grew up a Dallas Cowboy fan, so yeah. I'm still a Cowboys fan. I'm a Titans fan just because I've been living here for 20-something years. Yeah. Um, now yeah. I'm a Seahawks fan because Latasha's oh, from yeah. Washington. Well, being from Nebraska, I always loved Denver, Minnesota, Kansas City, and Dallas. And so, oh, and Chicago. Yeah. So I could I we always got to watch. I think it's nice to have like I got four teams I follow because my first wife was from New England. Oh yeah, I met her from up there. So I just became a New England fan, and now right. it's like hard not to be because they win all the time. So yeah, and I just like honestly I like watching good teams play. Yeah, and I, I don't care if it's Baltimore if they're if they're really good. I'd rather watch like Kansas City. Yeah, I love watching Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, it's like these are the things that twenty years from now you go. Hey, I remember seeing that guy yeah. play because that was. That was the shit back Dude, then. There's, there's nothing. Even if my team is winning, if it's seventy-seven to nothing, I'm done. I'm out of here. I can't watch a blowout. I yeah. want to see a good game. Yeah. Now, seeing like a three to nothing game, that's a little, that's a yeah. little dry. But yeah, anyway. But the Titans, you know, I, I will, I'll support them. But at the same time, I can't just watch them just because I'm a fan. Yeah, 
Oh, it's just painful. It's it's it hurts because you you just don't want to see people getting demoralized or right. know, not playing well while they're making a hundred million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, thank you so much. Dude, I fun. really appreciate your time. I feel like I should interview you more. You don't get to talk about Bart. You don't want to do that. <laughs> Do people know that you used to write songs with me years ago? You I and Danny Myrick? Danny Myrick, yeah. I know, man. Yeah. I couldn't tell you what. I remember really liking the song. I remember we demoed it. What no. the heck was it called? I really don't I'll know. I'll find it as soon as I get home. I'll text you. Yeah. But, I remember we did one demo at County Q. Pat Buchanan played on it. I played on it. Yep. Yeah. can't remember the name of that song. I'll that find it. Away. I'll find it. All right. Thank you, Dad. Appreciate it. Anytime. See you soon. Thank you.